listening to First Church Charlotte. Lord, everyone. Oh, come on. Praise the Lord, everyone. I'm about to get in the word of the Lord. If you're joining us online, thank you for giving us some of your time. If you're visiting with us today, thank you for taking a chance on us. We are going to read 1 Timothy chapter number 1, verse number 18. My name is Nathan. It is my honor to be the lead pastor here at First Church. 1 Timothy chapter number 1, verse number 18. Timothy, you are like a son to me. Now let me, real quick, this is a new translation I've recently discovered uh, called the Easy to Read Version. I like it. It's, it doesn't take quite as much liberty with the translation as some of the other uh, natural language, real vernacular Bible translations, but it does, it, it, it meets its goal. It is very easy, very easy to read. Paul writing to Timothy, he's mentoring him in the faith, the purpose, the calling, the gospel, the ministry. Timothy, you are like a son to me. What I am telling you to do agrees with the prophecies that were told about you in the past. In other words, Timothy, you're a person of spiritual destiny. And I need you to believe that you're a person of spiritual destiny. Because if you don't believe it, you're going to have a hard time doing what I'm asking you to do, which is to fight the good fight of faith. I want all of you to believe that God chose you on purpose and you are a person of spiritual purpose. You have a destiny in God. If you can believe that, it'll make the battles you need to fight easier for you. I want you to remember those prophecies, Paul says, and fight the good fight of faith. Continue to trust in God and do what you know is right. Some people have not done this, and their faith is now in ruins. My title, uh, interestingly, uh, for the moment, uh, this is the theme we're going to organize our sermon around today, Battles That God Will Not Fight. Battles that God will not fight. Hopefully that can pique your interest somewhat because let's be honest, us religious folks love to pick fights for God. (laughs) We love to pick fights for God. And uh, there actually are some people that uh, when they go out and they get drunk, what they do is they uh, pick fights for other people in the group they are with. I had a, a friend, I haven't seen him in a couple of years, but I knew him for years and I did sports with him and he had a, a girlfriend and she, if she, they went out to the clubs, which he wasn't in the church, um, and they would go out to clubs and she would always get him in a fight and he would complain about it. He, was, he would say, my God, I, you know, I, I, we're going out this weekend. I, I've already given her the speech and, and sure enough, she would get him in a fight. Evidently, she had lots of things she she wanted to fight about. She didn't just. She just didn't have very much ability to fight. So she said, "I'll do the fight picking, and you do the fight finishing." And uh, it, it works out great until you go to jail. But I won't tell that story. <laughs> um, we love to pick fights for God, but we don't necessarily uh, consider the fact that there are some battles God will not fight. Now, the Apostle Paul, uh, he wants Timothy to grow into his spiritual potential. 
not simply for the good of Timothy. He wants Timothy to grow into his spiritual potential because there is a city that needs Timothy to become who God ordained him to be. In your world, there are people that are depending on you becoming who God said you could be. And you can make a difference. Hear me, somebody, today. You can make a difference in your world by believing that God chose you on purpose. And God called you, and he did not stutter. (laughs) And he has a work, a purpose, a destiny for you to fulfill. And can some church folks say amen? Uh, I want you to wage a good warfare, Paul writes to Timothy. Uh, Other other translations say, uh, fight the good fight. And Paul speaks to Timothy as a father in the faith, but also he speaks to him as a type of general in the army of the Lord. This charge, he says to Timothy, this charge I entrust to you, verse number 18. He is giving Timothy marching orders. He is not simply allowing God to call Timothy. He is agreeing with God in that God has called him, and he is now speaking to Timothy as a voice of establishing Timothy. You have prophecy upon you. You have purpose upon you. You have calling within you. Can you see what God sees in you? I believe the church becomes unstoppable the moment we can see what God sees in us. I think one of the great transformations that happened in the first century church is upon the day when the the disciples received the gift of the Holy Spirit and that divine word flowed through them and they spoke in that symbol of the Holy Spirit, divine tongues, and they're transformed. And it's as though God told them he was going to do it. Then he told them to get ready for what he was going to do. And then he got them gathered to receive what he had promised them he was going to give them. And then he gave it to them and they said, man, He really meant it, didn't he? Sometimes all of us need to believe that God has a greater vision for us, our potential and our calling, than we have for ourselves. In fact, I'm sad to say it's usually worse than that. We spend most of our energy telling God that he's wrong about what he said we could do. We talk ourselves out of it, and we rebuke the Lord for saying uh, something uh, spiritually possible about us. Uh, This charge I give to you, Timothy, Paul speaking like a superior officer, Paul speaking like a general, Paul saying, this charge I give to you. You have duty. Uh, There is a work that remains to be done, and I'm asking you to report for duty. Spiritually speaking, Timothy is no longer a civilian, but now he is a soldier in the army of the Lord. And I don't know how many of you grew up in Sunday school, but if you did, maybe you can help me out on this. I may never march in the infantry, ride in the cavalry, shoot the artillery. I may never fly over the enemy, but I'm in the Lord's army. Yes, sir. Tell me I can't sing. What are you talking about? I'm a singing fool. 
All right, so here Paul is saying, all right, bud, I believe in you. It's time to show up. Uh, here's the thing. You know, armies don't always fight, but armies always prepare to fight. Yes. Uh, the church is not always in spiritual battle, but the church always has spiritual purpose. Sometimes the church lives with a sort of spiritual momentum, and it seems as though things are working, doors are opening, working, word for the day. It seems as though things are quickening, working, and othering, and uh, it just seems like you've got good things are happening, and uh, then there are seasons where you know you're in for a fight. It's tough to fight all the time. I know there's some type of Christian that never learned that. They think that's their calling in God to fight all the time. Um, uh, and that would be fine if they would fight the enemy, but they really like fighting other Christians, and that's, that's fine for them. God bless them. Uh, armies don't always fight, but armies are always preparing to fight. The army fails when it is called upon to fight, but there's no fight in the army. Oh. You see what I'm saying? And so armies fight. It seems simple, and yet this, this reality is true that um, we're always girding ourselves for a fight. We may not always be in the battle. That's an exhausting way to live. <laughs> I don't know if you've lived that way a little bit, but if you have, honey, you know what it is. To, you can't even get good sleep. You fight in your sleep, right? Um, uh, hard to fight all the time, but armies are always preparing to fight, and armies are always willing to fight. So because we want to be good Bible students, we don't want to just do church culture and let it be kind of, you know, standing for our particular politics or our particular civil inheritance or how we think the world should be run. We want to be real Bible students. We should try to look at the teaching example of fighting and do what is shown in the Bible to make sure we apply it correctly. Um, we are warned in the Bible against misapplying this teaching example of fighting in a wrong way. Paul, uh, in a couple places, does this. One place, particularly, he is very, very direct with it. And he said, look, our fight is not a fight of violence. It is not some type of army against army of this world, nor is it some type of um, a tribe against tribe, people against people of this world. All of those things represent uh, the desires and lusts of the flesh. Why do you war among yourself? It's your, your, your lusts that are warring within you. Uh, the apostle would say. But there is a lesson here, but we need to make sure we are serious students of the Bible and uh, treating all analogies right. Because hear me, all teaching analysis, um, let me say that better, all teaching analogies are flawed. Uh, they are not the thing represented. They are representing something they are not. So it is with fighting. Paul would say, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. There is a spiritual component, and if you misunderstand that, well, you will uh, be uh, one of the soldiers who uh, causes more trouble than you do um, advancement of the army. So uh, as good students, let's, before we claim the right answers, let's ask ourselves the right questions. And so here are some good, helpful questions for all Bible students to ask and answer. Answer number one, are there battles that have already been won? And the answer to this is, yea, behold, verily, and again I say, amen. 
<laughs> there are battles that have already been won. There is one battle that supersedes all battles, and that is whether or not God can cover you with his righteousness and present you faultless before judgment. By his goodness, this is salvation and the work of salvation. I want you to know that battle is done. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling. Man, if I had some church folks, we might have some church in here. And to present you, say it with me, faultless. Not one of you suckers in here are faultless, but there's a day you're going to stand before judgment, and judgment's going to say, faultless. There are battles that have already been won. In fact, had the princes of this world known that they were up for a fight, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory and then lost the battle. That's why as Christians, there is a future we look forward to that is not at risk. It's not in doubt. Uh, Christ has won. <laughs> Christ has won. You know what's exciting about that? Easter's coming. Easter Bowl, a Super Bowl for the church. Anyway, moving along. <laughs> That's what Easter is, the Super Bowl for the church. So uh, Christ has won. Are there battles that are ongoing? And again here, the answer is yes. Now, uh, there is a battle of salvation and uh, righteousness over unrighteousness and Christ, our Redeemer. That's settled. That's one. Yes. Yes. To as many as received him, yes. to them gave he power to become the sons of God. Yes. That's done. Are there battles that are ongoing? Yes, until Lucifer is bound. Lucifer represents a spiritual stealing, killing, and destroying. destroying. Uh, there is this competition in the spiritual realm that's difficult for us modern people particularly to see and appreciate because we don't think this way. And yet, uh, there is this existence of the spiritual in all of our lives. And we have to, as beings who uh, are not just of flesh but also of spirit, we have to acknowledge that not all of us exists in flesh. There is the larger component of our self, our consciousness, our being that exists in flesh and in spirit. And it's here in this battleground of spirit where there is a contest and uh, hell's vision for your life is one of despair and death and God's vision for your life is one of victory and life more abundantly. Until Lucifer is bound until, and until the nature of humanity is changed, there are battles that are being fought right now and must be won. So, question number one, is there battles that's already been won? Yes. Are there battles that are ongoing? Uh, somebody say yes. Number three, this is the one you probably haven't heard taught, and so hopefully it will pique your interest, and that is this. Are there battles that God will not fight? And the answer here is... See, Senor, there are battles that God will not fight. We're not called to fight every battle because so much in life is not worth fighting over. You do it your way. It's fine. Guess what? I didn't pay your light bill. You do it your way. I prayed, Lord, everybody who needs a shower today, give them a shower. I didn't know it was going to rain all day and everyone's going to come in wet. <laughs> You do it your way. You see what I'm saying? I'm just having fun with it because you know how I do. 
But you do it your way. Um, that's not, most things in life aren't worth fighting over, do you see? Uh, we try as best we can to get along, uh, but there are some things worth fighting over. Uh, but it needs to be something that is intentional and spiritual, spiritually purposeful. Uh, there are battles that God fights on our behalf because we can't fight them. And there's battles that God will not fight for us. Come on. Because if we don't value it, it is not for us to possess. Two examples in Scripture. God fought Pharaoh for them. Read Exodus 6 and 6. God fought Pharaoh for them. He did not ask them to fight Pharaoh. He asked them to pack a bag. And God fought Pharaoh for them. Uh, But when they got to Canaan, God wouldn't fight for Canaan for them. He told them, you're well able to do it. You can read that story, Deuteronomy chapter number one. Here you have God saying, here's a battle you can't win. I'll fight it for you. And here's God saying, here's a battle I won't fight. If you don't want it, you won't have it. There are battles that God will not fight. Now, all right, let's just keep this whole introduction spinning over here. As I said in the earlier service, like Don has, he used to be a DJ back in the day. He had his fro rolling. I know that's hard to imagine, but he had his fro, and he had his, he had his turntable over here, and he was ready to roll, and uh, Venice was out in the audience. She wasn't because it was a club. You wouldn't go to those sinful places. She was a church girl. She was a church girl, but if she had been in the club, like backslid that night, she'd been like, hey, and he'd been like anyway we have this whole idea over here spinning like a record uh, people shaking their head and looking at me i'm not even looking at my parents i know what that's going to be so, <laughs> that's just spinning over here okay now let's talk about something that i think is like the elephant in the room it's like an elephant in the room and that is what is going on right now in the invasion of uh, putin's army into uh, the nation of, the, of ukraine it is the biggest thing going on in our society and our culture right now i want to start by saying i am not doing politics i want to be 100 percent clear on this. I am not doing politics when I say this. I have personal politics, and if we were not in a church setting, I'd be glad to have any number of neighborly conversations about uh, this issue with you. I have politics, Um, but there is no personal politics that matter more than the gospel I represent, and so when I stand in this church, I will not give you my politics and hide it behind some, uh, you know, pick the three scriptures that agree with my politics and then give it to you like I'm the guy who got it right and you're the big, great big waste of space. No, not doing that. Not doing politics. But I am going to talk about the strange experience that has happened in recent history, the strange, strange experience that has happened uh, that goes like this. Um, we as a nation took our army out of Afghanistan. We had invaded Afghanistan because they were sheltering the Taliban, and the Taliban had supported the attack on America. So we called up Afghanistan people. We called the president. We said, you have to banish Taliban. If you don't, it's going to be on like a chicken bone. That's how country people start a fight, if you didn't know. My wife's from the country. I'm a city slicker. But she taught me how to say that. If I don't do what she says, she said, buddy, it's going to be on like a chicken bone. And I crawl right under the bed and throw my wallet out from under the bed. That's, That's how that works. And so um, um, we said, look, you guys have to banish and uh, kick the Taliban out of your country because they, they came here, they killed 2,000 of us, and they, you're harbor them. You're tra- their training camps are there. Their money is there. Come on, guys. And Taliban, of course, you know, honor, no, we won't do it. And so that's how we end up there. 
Wars are easy to start. They're hard to get out of. So don't fight with people unless it really matters. It's just hard to get out of them. <laughs> and so um, we got in there. And so ne nearly 20 years later, we leave. Now, personally, that, I, I would tell you, it was a hot mess. It, it was a hot mess. That's just how it looked. But I'm not in the Army. I don't have, that's not, that's not for me to say. We were shocked, not just us, but the whole intelligence community, uh, the military, all of our allies. We had been there nearly 20 years. We spent nearly $6 trillion, with a T, dollars on that war, and they wouldn't fight. Um, I'm not talking, I'm not saying all of them wouldn't fight, but uh, the people who should have held the institutions together, they went to the central bank, filled all their luggage with money. They left their underwear in Kabul. They filled the <laughs> their <laughs> Where do I come up with this stuff? Y'all pray for me. Um, they filled suitcases with money, and they left. Now, that shocked our whole intelligence establishment. Um, the generals are like being interviewed on CNN. They're like, um, uh, um, uh, uh, uh. here's what we know. You know, uh, Afghani people are not cowardly. They grow up fighting. They, they know how to field strip an AK-47 before they can do the three R's of reading, writing, and arithmetic. They're not afraid, uh, 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 cowardly people. And when they fight, they are formidable. As many an empire, all the way back to Alexander the Great, has discovered. When they fight, they take names and... Yeah. Why wouldn't they fight? Okay, here's a, people, we, we have spent $6 trillion, 20 years of training, and they won't fight. And they're not cowardly people. Right. On the other hand, here comes Ukraine. Nobody expected that to last 24 hours. Right. Even the Ukrainians are surprised. <laughs> they're like, how about them apples? Last night I read a tweet where one of the uh, women, women volunteers in Ukraine sent a tweet. She said, we just want to let everyone know that after this is over, NATO is welcome to join the Ukraine. <laughs> she, but nobody saw this. They didn't even see it coming. Their president is a comedian. A professional comedian, I've never heard him perform, um, but he, he's hard, you know, you don't think of him that way. He has a beautiful family. He seems like an ordinary guy, great guy to have coffee with and make some political jokes about the losers in Washington and whatnot. You know, it, 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 it sounds fun. It, it sounds like a grand time. He's a comedian. And so what do we do? We know the Russian army is way bigger. We know. We know. They know. It's they're not out of the woods. This steel may go completely against them. And so our government, remember, we expected these brave warriors in Afghanistan to fight. They didn't. We didn't expect the Ukrainians to fight because they represent more kind of the West, kind of, you know, we want to make money, we're kind of decadent, we really, I mean, I'll argue with you, but as long as it's at Starbucks, you know what I mean? Because I'm not doing without my coffee, you know what I'm saying? I will fight if you'll bring Starbucks, but if the Starbucks cart stops coming, I will take a selfie and leave. <laughs> we didn't expect it. 
But so what do we do? All, uh, all the way back for generations now, whenever there is a nation falling, other nations help them set up what's called a government in exile. And a government in exile is when the leaders that are as, uh, as much sovereign authority over the country as possible, you take them, you take them out of France in World War II, or you take them out of Spain in World War II, or World War I, you take them out of Belgium. You see what I'm saying? They're at governments in exile. So our government, do it not, we aren't trying to like not have them fight. We're just doing what governments always do. So we call up the president of Ukraine, and we're like, hey, we're going to send a helicopter, and we'll, take, we'll, we'll pick you up, and we'll set up, we'll be all do, uh, a government in exile to represent the interests of the people. And here you have a comedian. Nobody saw this coming. Here this comedian is saying, I, uh, uh, you, you will do what? <laughs> what do you want me to do? Uh, that's not a good accent, but you get the idea. You want me to do what? And he says this, and it's awesome. I don't need a ride. I need ammunition. <laughs> In the same manner that our whole intelligence, military, political government was shocked when the Afghanistan, which are formidable warriors, would not fight, we're all shocked when uh, what people with Western values, as it were, decides to fight, and they're, they're, they're fighting like, uh, it's, uh, it's ridiculous. I mean, when's the last time you saw uh, a video of school teachers making Molotov cocktails? Right. All I say is you do not fight with those women. <laughs> you take those women to the mall, they want shoes, honey, you buy them the honking shoes. They will show up at your house with gasoline. <laughs> that explains a lot about my marriage, just so you know. <laughs> it's, it's unbelievable. And, and the whole Western world is shocked by this. Now, there, I've, I actually have thought a lot about, I've thought about this every day this week, and that's kind of uh, where a lot of this comes from, because we expected the warrior Afghani people to fight, and they didn't, and we didn't expect the Ukrainians to fight, and they did, and so you can think, and I have, you know, what's the difference, and, and, and so there's some obvious potentials that come to mind, um, maybe, maybe the mindset and the cultural values and inheritance of Afghanistan struggles to value what the West values. Uh, maybe they struggled to, you know, why, why would you care about freedom of speech? And uh, what's the big deal over rule of law and property rights? I mean, who cares? And not, of course, we don't want to be careful not to group people as all. I'm, I'm just speaking in a kind of generalization, but we have to be careful with that because there are, today, there are Ukrainians who support Russia's right to take over, and there are Russians who are protesting being arrested by their own government because they don't want to invade their neighbor. They've got friends, family, you know, cousins, aunts, uncles, parents there. They don't want to do it. So, but as kind of from big picture, top down, um, maybe the Afghanistan's uh, people, they, the, Af the Afghan people, they, they would not fight when what was at stake was Western values, but when what was at stake was Islamic values, they died by the thousands, do you see? They fought, they blew themselves up. They fought for what they cared about. They fought for what they valued. On the other hand, here you have this Ukrainian country that doesn't have near the army, doesn't have near the armor, doesn't have near the planes, the missiles, um, and, and they're fighting like crazy. What's the difference? They, they're not warriors from their children their, from their early age. They don't start out field stripping AK-47s before the age of 10. And here you have, like yesterday, the, uh, a teacher was killed.
old. Um, and there's a picture of her um, I saw on Twitter, and, and she's sitting, and she looks like a perfectly pleasant, lovely person. Um, she's not, she, she, she is a, a K, a, like a K a kindergarten teacher, something early, early years. And uh, she's famous among her friends for being a gardener, but she died yesterday, killed, because she's fighting. What makes people fight? And this is the nearest I can get to trying to understand this and be fair. Remember, we're not doing politics. This is just us trying to understand uh, what makes people fight. When you really value what is at stake, you will fight. And if you do not value it, you won't fight for it. So now you have these... uh, (laughs) Ukrainian women who don't want to fight uh, out, you know, making Molotov cocktails because what they're saying is we're not prepared to fight. We don't know how to fight, but this is where we stand. So either let us live here or let us die here, but this is where we stand. I'm not good at this. That doesn't matter. I'm willing to die right here. What makes people stand and fight? I have to say, when you value... What's at stake? You'll fight for it. And when you don't value it, you'll fill a suitcase full of cash. And you'll head to your neighbor's place. And you'll be like, I need to rent a room. Got money. (laughs) Four battles that God will not fight for you. I say this seriously. Four battles God will not fight for you. There perhaps is more, but I've got to respect everyone's time here today. Four battles God will not fight for you. Number one, God will not fight for you to have spiritual time where you talk to him, you spend time in his word, you pray, you create a place of intimacy with God. God will not fight for your spiritual time. What God will do is stand at the door and knock. But if you don't value private time with God... You won't have any private time with God. I'm not being ugly. I'm preaching to myself just as much as I'm preaching to you. I'm not standing on some apex and, you know, sending, you know, out uh, some type of advice to all the people in the Misty Valleys. No, this is true of all of us from front to the back. If we don't fight for spiritual time in our life, we will not be people of prayer. And just like a fight... It will be deeply unpleasant, and if you don't value it, you'll be tempted to not stand there and say, uh, you can either let me live here or you can let me die here, but here I stand. I refuse to be a Christian who makes no time for spiritual things. I refuse to be a Christian who does not pray. I refuse to be a Christian who does not carve out some time and say, God, I want to meet you at this altar. I want to call on your name in this place. Jeremiah chapter number 2, verse number 32, uh, gives us one of the most uh, haunting scriptures on how we can uh, forget God. Verse 32, a young woman does not forget her jewelry. A bride does not forget to wear her wedding dress. But my people have forgotten me too many times to count. When we forget God so many times, he can't even keep count. Why aren't you counting God? Not because he can't keep count, because it hurts to think about it. 
we make sure that we look good. We make sure that we're fancy. But my people have forgotten me too many times to count. I want to challenge every, every one of us here today. I stand here in the place of challenge with you, and I say simply this. I am going to value spiritual time in my life. I'm going to value it. I'm going to fight for it. I'm going to build here an altar. I'm going to say I am not the kind of person who wants to fight over things, but this is something worth fighting over. I must have time with God. The second battle, God will not fight for you. God will not fight for what controls your tongue. Your tongue is that center of rebellion in your life. Your tongue is that with which you either ally with the kingdom of God because he is bringing into fruition a vision for what humanity can be. He created us. It was not accidental. There was purpose to it. And spiritual rebellion is when an entity, a person, a spirit, an angel tries to change the vision of what humanity was supposed to be into something that it was never supposed to be, which ushers in real spiritual contest where hell wants the world to end like this and heaven wants the world to end like this. And we caught in the middle vote with our own sovereignty, with our own time, with our own word of faith, with our own accomplish, accomplishment, just as God accomplishes and begins and ends works by speaking, so we began and end works by speaking. James said, your tongue is like a very small rudder on a ship. The rudder is so small, it's easy to ignore, but without the rudder, the ship will be driven wherever the wind takes it. So it is with your tongue. Your tongue is a rudder for your life. And if your rudder points you toward the kingdom of self and the kingdom of Satan to live your own life, you will be as though you put yourself in the place of God. Because the real problem with gossip is not the sin of it. It is you putting yourself in the seat of God. This is the original temptation. Eve, eat of the, uh, the apple, not the apple, but the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. It may have been an apple. Who knows? I know it's been stuck in my throat my whole life, but that's a different issue. The fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, eat of this, and then you won't need God for good and evil. You can decide for yourself what good and evil is. This is what the gossiper does. They decide for themselves who in the church is good and who in the church is evil. This is what the gossiper does who in the church is really trying and who is not trying, who is good and who is bad. I want to say to all the pistol-packing mamas, lay that pistol down. Get out of the role of God. Quit deciding who is good and who is bad. You don't have to ally yourself with their life. You don't have to support their hobbies. You don't have to go with them to something that is of the flesh. Uh, But you should not be the word, the rudder that steers judgment and character assassination toward them. God will not control your tongue. 
You have to fight the battle for the little red devil behind the pearly white gates, as uh, old-time preachers used to say. Uh, James 1, verse number 26, if anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Just say what you mean, James. Take your time. Say what you mean. I'll just say here, here. The third battle God will not fight for you is the battle for your conscience. It's so easy for us to be Christian and kind of try, not really try. I'm not being ugly. I'm preaching to me too. It's so easy for us to have a form of godliness but not have the demonstrable power of life change that means testimony. The best example of this in the scripture, and I'll preach this some other time, but I'm going to give it to you today at a a two-for-one. You get a two-for-one discount. Are you ready for this? All right, so um, the best story of grace and what I'm trying to say about how um, this uh, can be a a battle of your conscience goes like this. Jesus shows up at the pool of Bethesda, and there there's a lame man who's been lame for 38 years. Uh, Bethesda is a place where there's a well and there's five a well and a pool, and there are five porches built around that pool. Uh, now, what does Bethesda mean? Bethesda means a house of grace. Yeah. Let me tell you a truth about houses of grace. They're filled with sick people. They're filled with hurting people. They're filled with broken people. You should beware a house of so-called grace where they run all the sick people off. This place is full of people who need help. This house of grace is full of people who need healing. They need a second chance. Thank God that the church is a house of grace. You can come here at any stage of your life. It may be good. It may not be so good. But you're just as welcome as the most churchified of the churchified folk. You are just as welcome. All you have to have is a desire in your heart to say, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And you're welcome in the house of God. And you know what the house of grace does? It covers sick people. Don't look down your nose at sick people. Some of us have been sick for 38 years too and still not well. That's a different issue. I'm going to give you some insight into that. But God will challenge you even if you're covered by grace. Even if you're covered by grace, God will challenge you. You want to know what happens? Jesus shows up. He sees this man there 38 years. And what does Jesus say to him? Would you like to be made whole? Now, this seems like a cruel question. It's not a cruel question. Let me tell you the truth about grace. We can turn grace into a crutch. Y'all mad at me yet? I ain't mad at y'all. I love y'all. I'll give you a double kiss after church. Just let me know. COVID on both sides of your face. I don't have COVID, but you get the idea. Um, uh, Here's a guy. He is so comfortable under grace that he is uh, sheltering his dysfunction. Now, Jesus will cover you with grace, but part of the gift of Jesus is that when you're a son, you get more than grace. You get chastening. 
Don't give me a church where there's only grace. You need chastening too. Now, it's not your brother or your sister's job to chasten you unless you have a mentoring relationship with them. But grace covers uh, and Jesus challenges. Jesus shows up and says, I know you're covered by grace, but would you like to be made whole? We can get in the habit. We come to church as a reassurance that God is still with us, but we're really not trying to change the bad choices we've made in our life. We've got things hid around the house that God is not pleased with. And yes, grace is covering us, uh, but we're not well, we're not whole. And you know who suffers? Who suffers is not the other people in the house. It's the people you could have been a testimony to. Because instead of getting strong in the house of God, you're being reassured in the house of God. Oh, I still can feel the spirit. I have an addiction problem. I have a pornography problem, but I still feel the spirit. Wilt thou be made whole? Yes, grace has covered you. It's been covering you for 38 years. It's time to get up and pick up that band and go be a testimony. God will not fight on behalf of your conscience. You have to want to live right. Yes, Yes, grace is awesome. We need to write some praise songs about chastening. Dear Lord Jesus, slap me again, just slap me again. You know I've been wrong, I've been a sinner, sitting in the pew thinking I'm saved, I might might not be my, who knows, I need to get to the altar. Just write those things down. I think that song will be a real blessing to somebody. I'm going to get some royalties on that one right there. All right, so God will not fight on behalf of your, of your, I almost said husband. Oh, Lord, God will fight on behalf of your husband, just so you know. Jesus, take the wheel right over there, second row. Amen. Um, God will not fight on behalf of your conscience. You have to want to be right. That's why he tells you to confess. He doesn't confess for you. You have to want to be right. He tells you to repent. He doesn't repent for you. More on that in just a moment. Let me show you this in the scripture. God won't fight this battle for you. 1 Timothy uh, 1, this was our our text we read together. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you that you may wage the good warfare holding faith and a good conscience. Timothy, you're going to have to fight for this. You're going to fight for your faith and you're going to fight to do the right thing. You're going to fight to do the ethical thing, not to just be a so-called religious person who uses the church as a type of virtue signaling in their community, but when it comes to business, you don't want to do business with them because they'll cheat you on every corner in town. All right, moving along. Um, The last battle God will not fight for you is the battle for meaning. Now, what do I mean about a battle for uh, meaning? Um... We all of us are tempted to live the world's version of the good life, not heaven's version of the good life. You'll see this in a lot of prosperity doctrine, which is, drives me crazy because God does want to bless you, but not for the sake of making you the coolest kid in the class. That's right. <laughs> God does want to bless you. 
but not for the sake of making you fancier so you can put all, your, all the people who made fun of you in high school to shame. Right. That's just vanity. Right. But God does want to bless you. You're his children. Everybody loves to bless their children. I'd rather... I, anyway, let me just... You get the idea. What is the good life? What is my best life? Christianity is not so I can have the nicest house in town. I want a nice house, I'll be honest with you. If I told you I didn't, you wouldn't believe me. Come on. Get real. I want a nice car. You do too. That's why some of you got nicer cars than me. I'm a little mad about it. We all want that. That's just flesh. And we're less admit we're flesh. Okay? But the reason why God would bless us is not about us. It's not about what flows to us. It's what flows through us. And that includes me. <laughs> that includes me. Um, so, uh, what is the good life? What is my best life? The world will tell you you'll be happy if you have lots of followers on Instagram. <laughs> the world will tell, tell you you're happy if you have, you know, all the coolest this, if you go to this vacation. If you meet the right person, if you have the right boyfriend or girlfriend, then you'll be happy. Well, huh, for two years. <laughs> and then you have to fight for that relationship. <laughs> Welcome to the word called marriage. <laughs> you got to work on it. And so, um, um, anyway, I, I, I got I to move. Musicians come and try to move this thing forward. I, I'll blame you if I go too long. Come on up here and sing that song I sang earlier about the Lord needs to chasten some people here today. Uh, what is my best life? I've got to fight for meaning. You see, there's a temptation for me to live by the world's meaning and not heaven's meaning. And I value my life by the standards of the world, not by the standards of, of heaven. So let me show you this to you very quickly. Um, Joshua chapter number 24, something very interesting happens. This is the third message I'm going to give you for free today because I'm just feeling generous and it's tax time and I'm going to write you all off on my taxes, okay? Um, Joshua chapter number 24. He says this to the people. I, he, he's, he's speaking for the Lord as a man of God. He says this, I, 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 the Lord, gave that land to you. You didn't work for that land. I gave it to you. You did not build those cities. I gave them to you. Now you live in that land and in those cities. You have vineyards and olive trees, but you did not have to plant those gardens. Joshua said to the people, now you have heard the Lord's word, so you must respect the Lord and sincerely serve him. Throw away the false gods that your ancestors worshipped. That was something that happened a long time ago on the other side of the Euphrates River and in Egypt. Yeah, now you must serve only the Lord. But maybe you don't want to serve the Lord. You must choose for yourselves today. Why today? Why today? I, was reading, I read that this week and I was like, why today? What's, what's happening? <laughs> the Lord's been committed to him for, what, 400, <laughs> almost 500 years. Uh, why today? Choose today. Will you serve the gods of your, that your ancestors worshipped when they lived on the other side of the Euphrates River? That's Egypt. Or will you serve the gods of the Amorites who lived in this land? You must choose for yourselves. This is a big deal. You've got to choose now. You've got to choose today. And then Joshua gives us a little bit of insight why it matters now and today. I'll explain. But first, let me say, a choice like this is never just about you. It's always generational. <laughs> the proof of this is, as for me and my family... We will serve the Lord. Um, decisions like this are always generational. You don't just bless yourself. You bless your family <laughs> when you choose to serve the Lord. 
Now, why today? Why must they choose today? Um, I'll tell you why. Because up until this moment, it has been the era of easy faith. What do I mean by that? Up until now, they've had a lot of things that made faith easy. Give me some examples. They had a rock that followed them in the wilderness. And that rock was Christ. If they were having a bad day and they wondered if God really loved them, they had a rock that followed them in the wilderness. They had pillars of fire and pillars of cloud. Cloud by day, fire by night. It's easy to believe when you have pillars in your life. I didn't say pillows. It's easy to sleep when you have pillows in your life. I said pillars. Um, They had shoes that didn't wear out. My God, my wife needs some shoes that don't wear out. Or maybe that she doesn't want to replace. I don't know. Y'all pray for her. Uh, They have evidence after evidence after... Somebody say evidence. Evidence. I'm with you. You're my child. I am yours and you are mine. Your shoes won't wear out. Every morning you wake up and you have manna on the ground. Now don't talk about God doesn't love you. Go get some manna. Don't talk about all your all alone, wood, wood world. Go make yourself some sandwiches. This is crazy. God is with you. It's the era of easy faith, manna, pillars of cloud, pillars of fire, shoes that don't wear out, waters, uh, rocks that spurt water out. And you don't even have bitter waters because you just need a branch to put in bitter waters. And that branch is prophetically the sign of what Christ will do with the bitter waters of sin. And it's it's the era of easy faith. But now, dearly beloved... You're going to have to choose what you're going to do. The era of easy faith is ending. There's no rock that follows you where this place. There's no manna on the ground in this place. But if you will choose here, your children will get it. Your children will see what you're doing. And it will be a generational commitment in your life. As for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. Choose today. If you want to serve the gods of Egypt, this is uh, basically him saying the gods of your past. If you want to serve the gods of your past, if, if you're one of those people who never changed your value system from when you was a teenager and you're like one of these uh, old guys still trying to, I don't know, uh, I'm just going to stop right there because um, I think all of us may be at risk of uh, getting in trouble there. So I'm just going to stop. But I, I want to say those are the gods of the past. If that's what you're going to serve, okay then. Secondly, you're surrounded by the gods of culture. And this is the Amorites that are all around you. If you're going to serve them, okay. I mean, I guess you do you. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I'm not going to be in some way beholden to the gods of my past. And I'm not going to be the prisoner of the gods of my culture. I will choose the Lord. 
Jonah 2 and 8, those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. 2 Kings 17, 15, they followed worthless idols and became worthless themselves. Four things. God's not going to fight for you. Number one, he is not going to fight for you to make time for a spiritual relationship with him. He's going to stand at the edge of your life. He's going to stand on the periphery of your dwelling, and he's going to knock. But you're going to have to fight. It's going to feel just like a battle. You're going to have to show up, and you're going to have to say, I'm not just here to win. I'm here to stay. I'm not just here for a celebration. I'm not, I'm he, I am going to value spiritual time with God. That's the first battle. God will not fight for you. The second battle is what your tongue is going to speak into being in your life. Your tongue will steer your life like a rudder. You can say God is good or you can say nobody loves me and your life will be guided by the rudder of your tongue. Your tongue will lead you to destruction. God will not fight that battle for you. You have to fight it. Number three, you have to fight for your conscience. Your conscience, not simply having a form of godliness, but really striving to be changed. Or as Jesus would say to a man at the house of grace, would you like to be made whole? Or do you always want grace to cover up the mess you would not fight to change? And finally, the battle for meaning. If you want what the world wants, you can have it. If you want fame according to this world, go for it. I don't know how many followers you get, but maybe you'll knock it out of the park. You might be a superstar. Maybe you think if you get enough money, then knock yourself out. You see what I'm saying? But I'm fighting to remind my flesh that I choose the way of the Spirit. I am fighting for what the, the, the real good life is, the life that Christ would give, the life and life more abundantly. And I'm challenging all of you in the, in the, in the, in the, the challenge that comes through the Spirit into our life, in the chastening that God would speak into us and we would receive. I am challenging you. I'm challenging you to stand on the edge of a promised land. God would not fight for this land for them. Uh, they had to fight for it. And when you fight, you're going to have to decide what you believe in. Because if you don't believe, you won't fight. But if you value it, you will fight. Everything's going to change when you decide what's worth fighting for. That day of easy faith is over. God doing it all for you, that's over. Choose today uh, who you're going to serve. Uh, but if you will, your influence will live beyond your generation. If you will, your children will rise up and cause you blessed. Uh, if you will, your grandchildren will talk about the prayers they heard their grandparents pray. Choose today. Quit yourself like men. Fight the good fight of faith. Stand with me all across the house. I'm going to ask every one of you to make a commitment. Now, if you're uncomfortable doing this, just, just, just stand there. You don't have to do it. But I am going to try to rally within all of our life um, uh, a charge, shall we say, just as the Apostle Paul gave a charge to uh, Timothy. I am going to rally a charge. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to say 
a charge and you're going to repeat it back as a commitment to the Lord, if you will. I want all of us to be stirred in our spirit if we can receive it. I want to say it, and then you say it after me. I acknowledge there's some things I have to fight for. The first thing I'm going to have to fight for is spiritual time. I decide today to fight for spiritual time in my life. I will not accept, accept excuses. I will not play the victim card. I will make spiritual time in my life. I will fight to control my tongue. I know my tongue can either curse me or bless me. I will fight for control of my tongue. I will fight to have a good conscience before God. I will not simply take advantage of God's grace. I will fight to show him my good heart. He's done so much for me. The least I can do is fight for a good conscience. I will let God set my meaning. I feel the Holy Ghost in this house. Come on, say it with me. I will fight for meaning. The world will not tell me what is important. The world will not tell me what is valuable. I will fight for God to be my value. Somebody needs to lift their voice in this house. Someone needs to say, I hereby commit to you, oh God. I'm choosing you today. Not the gods of my past. Not the gods of my culture. I choose you today. And if I will, real influence begins now. When I choose you, real ministry begins now. When I choose you, my life begins to make a real difference. It's not just me, but it's my house that blesses you. We're moving into the last portion of our service here and the way we do that here at First Church. Our worship team is going to lead us deeper in worship and I challenge all of you to linger in the presence of the Lord and spiritually apply the Word of God to your life. If you're visiting with us, if you're a guest, thank you for coming. Uh, we're not the normal church. That's okay. We're glad you took a chance on us. We're glad you're here. If any time you need to slip out, you're welcome to do so. What's going to happen right now is we're going to linger in the Thank presence. you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come worship with us.